Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey in the studio, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with me as we broadcast live today from M-Trade Park in Oxford, Mississippi. M-Trade Park, formerly known as FNC Park, a uh, new branding partner, uh, an Oxford company that was founded uh, four years ago uh, that specializes in mortgage technology. And uh, we'll tell you more about M-Trade and the reasons that uh, they have partnered with uh, this incredible sportsplex in uh, in North Mississippi as we go through the show this afternoon. Glad to have you along for the ride. The C Spire text line is open right out of the gate, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. This was a day where we thought we were going to have college baseball in the state of Mississippi. We do not, at least not in Oxford or in Starkville, uh, rain has made it uh, nearly impossible to play. Uh, temperatures are dropping. That's not the reason they were canceled, though. It was the uh, the forecast. Uh, both uh, Oxford and Starkville getting pretty significant amounts of rain earlier in the day. We're actually in a window right now where it's not raining, but it's expected to rain a little bit later uh, this afternoon as well. Today also was supposed to be the opening day of the Oxford Park Commission's spring soccer schedule and as we sit right now, it is still going to be. Temperature's dropping a little bit, so maybe a little chillier at the ballpark tonight uh, than you would have originally anticipated. But over 900 kids in the Oxford area are participating in the spring soccer season. We'll talk a little bit later with uh, Seth Gaines, who is the director of the Oxford Park Commission, about what's going on with the uh, local rec leagues. Also with Brad Freeman, who is the director of M-Trade Park, about all the things that are happening here and uh, are happening in similar facilities like this, kind of across the state of Mississippi. Glad to be with you, though, this afternoon as we jump in. A lot to get to this afternoon. And, Michael, I I love what you said. You work on the rundown every day. It certainly is rare that we, we would lead with a conversation about NASCAR. But yesterday, because of the uh, the rain that they had in the day- Daytona area on Sunday, they had a delayed start or at least had to continue the race that began on Sunday, uh, the Daytona 500. And if it were just the race finishing on Monday, really probably we're not talking about it. We mentioned it yesterday and said that we'd have to bring Gary in, and we may do that a little bit later <laughs> this afternoon to uh, to talk some NASCAR um, but all of a sudden, about 6.30 or 7 o'clock last night, as that race was uh, was winding down on the final lap, you had an incredible uh, crash that happened and really scary images that came out of that. Uh, Ryan Newman ultimately taken to the, uh, to the hospital. Uh, there was a lot of concern, some speculation. Most people were good about kind of holding off on the speculation. But there was concern as to whether or not he was going to live because it looked awful. 
Uh, you saw the up-close picture of the car after it had flipped and then been hit by a, another car, the one that was uh, driven by, is it Ryan LaJoy? Corey LaJoy, uh, he was the one that, that hit Ryan Newman's car uh, by no fault of his own just because of where it came down and where he was on the track. And then when you got the close-up shot, you saw liquid that was spilling out from underneath the car while a fire was going. You had had this shower, this spray of sparks, and because there wasn't an explosion or a bigger fire, you thought, oh, maybe that's some sort of coolant or maybe it's oil or something along those lines. Turns out that was actually gasoline that was gushing out of a hose that had been broken or punctured or damaged uh, during the wreck, and it could have been an unbelievably awful scene. It was an awful scene, but ultimately it looks like Ryan Newman is going to survive. And especially when they held up that black curtain and Fox decided to completely cut away from the scene, it... When I saw those images on social media, I thought they're pulling out a body. That's what they're doing here. That's why they're blacking everything out, and uh, he's okay, which is remarkable. I saw this morning, uh, after the untimely passing of Dale Earnhardt, Ryan Newman himself talked about how much safer he felt in the car after the changes that NASCAR made. And then here we are, you know, almost two decades later, where those safety regulations probably saved his life. Have any of you guys ever been inside of a stock car? It is yeah. unbelievable. It uh, Gary's shaking his head. He's sitting over here. It, 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 so he's been to the school. He's actually driven one before. I've only driven one about 100 feet. But so years ago when I worked at, uh, at Rebel Sports Marketing, which at the time was kind of under the TeleSouth umbrella, uh, which is a parent company for Supertalk Mississippi, um, there was a promotion on a football Saturday where the National Guard car was set up outside the stadium. And part of my responsibilities, I had to be out there early that morning. Like, sun had just barely come up on a fall morning. Everything's quiet on campus, and they're unloading this car. And I said to the guy that was there, I was like, well, are you going to let me drive it into place? And he said, if you want to, sure. So you climb in, and if, if you have even the smallest amount of claustrophobia, uh, claustrophobia. forget it, you're, you're done. You, you get in this thing and your head is basically, you, you've got kind of the U-shaped brace that goes around your head where you can't turn your head side to side. Your elbows are kind of almost up against your chest just to hold onto the steering wheel. And then you've got the gear shift. And if you've ever driven a stick shift before, as I said, like in high school, my first vehicle was a, a little four-cylinder regular cab Nissan pickup. And it was, you know, it was a five-speed transmission. That was easy to shift gears in there. I mean, you just, you know, shift, you don't even think about it. Well, this is a different clutch system. I mean, you got to get on the clutch, shift gears, and then you've got to get on the gas. But it's unlike anything else that I've been in, in the way that when you come off the clutch, I mean, that thing will, it'll shoot out from under you. And it's loud. And just sitting there, you can feel how powerful it is. And so, you know, kind of break the the dawn morning on a football Saturday with this, you know, just so loud. That's the only experience I've got in a NASCAR. But even in that, I I can't imagine what it would feel like to go airborne 
and and you're locked in. I mean, you're you're safety strapped in, and those guys they've got helmets that are you know kind of locked into place with the the changes that they made a few years ago. The roll cage above you. I mean, it's about as safe as it can possibly be if you're going to be driving 200 miles an hour. But I can't imagine being in that claustrophobic space. What would go through your mind as you go hurtling through the air, and then the car is on its roof, sliding down the track, and you got sparks flying all over the place? I just can't imagine what it must be like. I mean, a lot of us have been in a wreck before, but there's there's varying degrees of that, and this is sure. the highest level, obviously, especially when you know the car is on fire, and he has to be aware of that at some point, I would imagine. So, very. I said on a group text, I said, if he's alive, it's a miracle. Well, that's what I'm going to call it. That's a miracle. That was somebody's answered prayer there because it did not look good. And thank goodness that uh, that he is okay. 19 years in racing for Ryan Newman. The 42-year-old was involved in that scary crash on the final lap of the Daytona 500. I, I was saying to Gary earlier, uh, Rippy, were you kind of following along with this on Twitter last night as well as it was happening? Sort of. I flipped to it when I heard that it happened, and then there's so much speculation about what actually, like, like what his condition was. So I just started reading as much as possible about like how often this happens and like how like survival rate and stuff like that. So And the survival of. rate is remarkably high. Yeah, I didn't really know what to think. I thought the coverage I don't watch NASCAR races, but I thought the coverage was interesting and like the tone of voice from Jeff Gordon and the other guy, like th- that seemed out of the norm from what I'd read, so I don't know. I I didn't really know what to think. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day you talk about if you're in your car and somehow you're going even at 100 miles an hour, and you get in a wreck, you're probably going to die. These guys are going twice that, and those cars are designed to to keep the drivers alive in there. Borky, one of the things that I thought was remarkable, and this does not matter at all in the grand scheme of things, if you cross the finish line, then technically you finish the race. And so if Ryan Newman's car had ended up in the infield without crossing the finish line, he would have been DNF, did not finish. Hmm. But because upside down on its top, it skidded across the finish line, even in this unbelievable wreck, he finished in fourth place in the wreck, a race that he was you know, seconds before going to win. And I know that's completely inconsequential, but to me it's still a little strange when you look up at the, the final race standings and you see that he actually finished fourth in the race. Yeah. And the announcers even said that. It's Now, I guess, knowing that he's okay, it makes it not funny, but, I mean, just kind of what you have to do. But if you watch the clip, you hear, and Newman's car slides across in fourth. Yeah. Because that's all they, I mean, that's all they had to go by. And then you've also got the other element to this, is the people attacking the winner today for doing donuts in the infield, which is what winners do after the race. He didn't know. Even though didn't he, know. He, there was no possible way he could have known what was going on behind him. Wrecks happen in that sport all the time, and he's getting unnecessarily ripped for that today. Well, so the, there were three things that stood out to me in the aftermath. One, the pit spotter for the winner which ended up being Denny Hamlin, Hamlin, said, look, if you're attacking Denny Hamlin, point your criticism at me because I turned my eyes away from what was going on after the wreck, and I didn't tell him what had happened behind, and so he had no way of knowing. He was just doing what NASCAR winners do. That reaction was interesting to me. Ryan LaJoy's act, uh, excuse me, Corey LaJoy's, Let's get to the other two reactions, and and we'll bring Gary in and and talk a little bit more about this when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi, live from M-Trade Park in Oxford on this Tuesday. (laughs) 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and uh, now our resident NASCAR expert, Scary Gary, joins the conversation as well. If he were on the phone, he would join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We are broadcasting live from M-Trade Park in Oxford. I would say brand new M-Trade Park, but it's only the name M-Trade that is uh, is brand new for this facility. Uh, it's been open a little over a decade. It's continued to grow. We'll tell you more about what's happening at M-Trade Park going through the spring and into the summer uh, with uh, Seth Gaines from the Oxford Park Commission and a little bit later this afternoon, Brad Freeman, who is a name that certainly you recognize, former baseball player at Mississippi State, uh, played in the minor leagues in the Cardinal system. I think it was the Cardinal system. And uh, then was on an NFL practice squad with the uh, with the NFL's uh, Indianapolis Colts. I, I'm always um, a little in awe when I think about, okay, I'm done playing baseball. What am I going to do now? I think I'll go be a professional football player and made a practice squad. That's a different level of athleticism, hey, Dad, than you and I have. Uh, he, yes, he, he is a tier above, for yes. sure. Um, we're going to continue the NASCAR discussion. Uh, some of your comments on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Richard and Wiggins says, loving the NASCAR segment. Uh, Mike says that uh, he has driven twice at Talladega uh, on the race course and uh, had uh, some people there, Freddie Frefu or Frufu or something that helped him uh, drive it. Uh, somebody says, if uh, you do it right, you don't have to press the clutch to shift gears. I mentioned uh, that I was pressing the clutch and coming off of it uh, that one time that I drove a NASCAR or a stock car, I don't know, 150 feet. I didn't know what I was doing. So let, let's be clear about that. So clearly I was probably not doing it right. I uh, got a message that said last time Fox dropped coverage like that was when Dale, Ju- uh, Dale not Jr., excuse me, Dale Earnhardt died. It was a scary deal. Craig says, thanks so much for giving NASCAR some coverage. Mike in Grand Bay, Alabama says, I think Hamlin, under the circumstances, did well by not going over the top celeb- uh, in celebrating. That's just your opinion as well. So I mentioned a second ago, I, I thought there were three reactions after the fact that, that kind of stood out to me. One, the spotter from Pit Row that was on the uh, on the headset with Denny Hamlin said, look, I, I'm the one that didn't let him know what was going on behind, so there's no criticism that should be directed at Hamlin. That should come to me. The other two that, that really stood out to me, so Corey LaJoy is the driver who collided with Ryan Newman's car after it had gone airborne, initially came back down to the track. And he said, I guess it was via Twitter afterward, or, or maybe it was in an interview, said that I, I feel terrible. There was nowhere to go for me. There was nothing I could do. And as I was scrolling through the responses to that tweet, the number of either other NASCAR drivers or former drivers or just NASCAR fans who immediately said to him, there was nothing you could do, stood out. Dale Earnhardt Jr. being one of the ones who responded to him. And then also... Um, the the guy that I, I guess technically you could say caused the wreck, Ryan Blaney, who felt terrible after it was all over, in a on track interview after it was all said, he was kind of explaining what happened. He said, "Look, Danny went high and blocked me as I tried to go around him on the high side. I tried to go down him low, and he was able to block me there. And at that point." I realized I wasn't going to get by him. 
And so what I did, I got behind and I said, I'm going to push him across the finish line. Let's make sure that Fords finish one and two. They were both driving Ford cars. So, Gary, I'll bring you in on this in particular because um, for for the layperson that is not a NASCAR fan that doesn't watch it, I would include myself in that. We know that there's bumping and we hear about drafting, but the idea of getting behind another car and pushing him, it, that's a common thing, right? Right. That's, that's, a, that's been known as drafting, but this year was really, really amazing. You get two cars that could actually put the bumpers within just – barely touching each other, and they would go from 198 miles an hour to 200 or 202 miles an hour. I mean, that's and as long as they held it there, they were never going to pick it up. Well, NASCAR don't like for you to lock bumpers and push, but if you get behind somebody and push them, well, that's what happened. If you watch that last restart, Denny Hamlin pushed his way through and passed uh, Ryan Blaney and all of them and got up front and went so far out front, and the two Fords – the 12 got behind the 6 and started pushing him, and here they come. And you could see how much faster they were. And Denny tried to block him, but he knew that there was such a head of steam that he could not block. So he stayed, held his line, and Ryan passed him. And, of course, Blaney came with him. Well, he's, Denny Hamlin's a racer, okay? He did what any racer would do. He tucked in right behind the 12 and started pushing him. Okay. Well, that picked the 12 up. Well, the 12 was trying to go to the low side of the track and get a nose under Ryan Newman and try to pass him, just like he had helped Okay, who, uh, I, uh, okay. You, you'll forgive me for not okay. knowing all the numbers. So this, who, who's the 12? The 12 is Ryan Blaney. Okay, that's Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney. And the 11 is Denny Hamlin. Okay. He's in a Toyota. Drives for FedEx. So he's, he's in third. Well, they're coming to the last set of the last big curve. Okay. okay? And he and he's they're coming out of it and they're coming to the trioval and they're coming. This is the last lap of the Daytona 500. Okay, I mean, right. they'd wreck their mama to win the Daytona 500. Sure, sure. About. <laughs> well, Ryan blocked, and that was I mean, it's perfectly. That's all that happened yesterday was everybody was blocking that run because being up front was a key. Is if you could keep that front position, if they got behind you, you picked up. Well, they were trying to break the break it up. And put Ryan in second place. Okay. Well, okay. Ryan blocked to the blocked to the top. Well, Blaney says, "Okay, we'll go to the bottom." So he turns to the bottom, and Ryan goes all the way to the bottom, blocks him, and of course, which again, that, if you're in the lead, that's what you're doing. You're right. trying to block anybody from being able right. to come you're around. Trying you. to just mo- impede his. Uh, okay. So so pressure. Ryan Blaney at that point realizes he's not going to win. Right. And he's and been even though twice, that, but but they're not on the same racing team, right? They're not no, both they're, Roush they Fenway, drive for Fords but, but there is almost a kinsmanship because they're driving the same brand vehicle. Correct. Okay. And they're trying to win it for Ford. So at the point that he realizes he's not going to win the race, it's almost like he becomes a teammate. But all this is in, in that he's in trying to push microseconds it. now. And, and the 12 just barely touches the right rear corner of Ryan Newman's car. Well, so if he's coming straight in from behind him, you got no problem. There's no problem. But, but when he nicked the corner, him, that left got him the sideways. right corner, you go turn him. If you hit the left corner, it turns him to the to the left. If yeah. you touch him to the right, it turns him to the right. Well, they touched, and of course Ryan does what they do at Daytona. They shot straight up to the top of the track, nose first into the barrier, bounced off. The car is going 200 miles an hour. Why it comes would you off. go towards the wall? 
Well, because it clipped him and it turned the inertia. rear. It turned the rear and it oh, just okay. Okay. It's like physics at that point. No, no, I got that. I thought but, you meant that. But was these cars, you, you hear balancing a, a baby on a razor blade. Yeah, that's what these cars are. If you was able to reach out and touch that car as you passed him, you could actually push that car and make it lose control and wreck. That's how what, sensitive what, what's these the, cars are. What's the steepness of the bank at Daytona? 30, 33 degrees. Whew. Comparable to Talladega? Three, yeah. Three stories basically straight down. When you stand at the top of the racetrack and look down, it's steep. That, that's a really interesting comparison. So when you go from the yellow line at the bottom of the track to, to the, the wall – in terms of height, you're talking about three stories of drop. And 33 degrees, which is pretty pretty steep. Yeah. That, That's why they wouldn't let the president car. It had to be at least 70 miles an hour to hold up to the top of the track. Huh. And they wasn't going to let the beast, you know, jump up there and try to try yeah. that. But, All right. I, okay, I back, to the, back to okay. the finish. We're coming to this. I mean, the man's got the checkered flag in his hand. Right. Okay. Ryan Blaney blocks. The 12 touches him. He goes straight up. He comes off the wall, and at 200 miles an hour, the car lifts up in the air. It starts to flip. It flips to the driver's side. There's oncoming traffic. All this is happening at 200 miles an hour. Everybody's going to the checkered flag. And Corey LaJoy, running the outside, right up against the wall, had nowhere to go. And it's just like the car flips right up, and he hit right on the roof. Yeah. And, of course, that sent the car into a slide and sent it back down the racetrack, and that's where he finished fourth. And, of course, that was the second closest finish to Daytona. Well, nobody knew that Ryan had crashed that bad. Okay? They sure. finished the race. And All right, I, so most everybody's kind of seen the aftermath. Here's my question for you. As a, a NASCAR fan or in terms of all of the other drivers that watched how that final sequence unfolded, is there any foul play, or are they all going to say, that was just racing, was racing and deal. that's just the risk that you run that is in what a, you an get event like when this. you race at Daytona and Talladega. You've got close quarters, yeah. high speeds, and very little very little uh, time to respond to anything. And that's basically what happened. And thank God Ryan's okay. The update I saw earlier from NASCAR is he is awake talking to family and doctors. Sta- and, stable but still serious condition. Yeah, but he's awake. Absolutely. So, so my wife just texted me. She said, I actually just got an education from Gary. Oh, you're blowing it up. Very well done. The text line is all like give him a, re- a weekly segment. I love it. We, well, we'll we'll toy with that idea. If there's that much interest for NASCAR, hey, there's enough rednecks around here that like NASCAR. <laughs> they like football. Thanks, Gary. You're the best. Thank y'all. Sports Talk Mississippi will continue from M Trade Park after this on this Tuesday afternoon. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, on this Tuesday afternoon as we broadcast live from M-Trade Park in Oxford. Scheduled to have the opening night of spring soccer tonight. Doesn't feel very springy, but as long as it's not raining, torrentially they will play soccer tonight to open the season. It's football weather, but it's a different kind of football. Football? Football. This does, I mean, this looks a lot like it would look like if you had EPL. Going yeah. on. Oh, yeah, right now? Yeah, over yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, so, C Spire text line, Gary needs to be on uh, weekly. Uh, we got the uh, message that said that Gary needs to be on every single week. Uh, also, Mike uh, in Grand Bay says, it's racing, but the worst wreck I've seen recently, I wasn't alive when my dad raced in the 30s to 50s, but I've seen horrible pictures that were worse. Can only imagine. 
that the safety apparatus in the 30s, 40s, and 50s was not terribly significant. Probably not. Probably didn't go 200 miles an hour then either. Yeah. But nevertheless. No fire suits. Uh, Brad in Burnsville says, uh, good segment with Gary. Both segments were good. Don't keep up with NASCAR anymore, but really interested in Daytona. Uh, here you go. For a non-NASCAR guy, the segment with Gary concerning the accident at Daytona was enlightening. Uh, and another says, great NASCAR segment, weekly please. Uh, I, I don't know if we'll be able to get the weekly please past Borky because, what, executive producer? Did I just add to your title, not just producer, but executive producer? Well, I am like the only one, better. so I, I guess, you know, you can slap whatever title on it you want. Yeah, I, Throw a senior in there while you're at it. No one knows senior it executive producer. Senior executive deputy producer, Michael Borky. Well, deputy makes it sound worse. you got to get rid of deputy. Oh, yeah. I don't know, but... De- deputy, deputy makes it sound like, like there's another one that I report to, you know what I mean? Yeah, he, he's right. Okay, he's right. sorry. Senior executive producer, Michael Senior Borky. executive chief producer. We'll have to sign off on uh, weekly, so we'll, we'll see how that uh, goes. Hey, there's another really, really big story that is out there today, and uh, it's kind of picking up mainstream coverage at this point. So we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The Big Ten had put a proposal out that all of a sudden it felt like it was new news, that the Big Ten was proposing allowing one transfer for every college athlete without sitting out. Then when you dug a little bit deeper, you realized, hold on, they put this proposal together a year ago, but it's now back into the news cycle. All of the athletics directors, I think it was all the ADs in the Big Ten, have supported it. Yesterday, the ACC, as a conference, came out and supported this one-time transfer rule. And the, the the, 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 the crux of it is you can transfer one time without having to sit out without having a year of ineligibility. And so you've got the Big Ten putting this out there. It's kind of their proposal. It's gotten support from the ACC. And today, the NCAA's Transfer Waiver Working Group announced a concept is under consideration that would allow undergraduate student-athletes in all sports to transfer once without sitting out of competition for one year. It comes on the heels of the initial proposal from the Big Ten that was publicly supported by the ACC yesterday. Again, this would allow student-athletes across all sports to transfer once without sitting out as long as they, one, receive a transfer release from their previous school, two, leave their previous school academically eligible, three, they maintain their academic progress at the new school, and four, they depart under no disciplinary suspension. Currently, if you are an undergraduate transfer in football, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, or hockey, you have to get a waiver from the NCAA to be eligible immediately. We've talked about that a lot, obviously, in the last couple of years with football. The crazy thing about it is it's just those five sports. You transfer in soccer, volleyball, equestrian, swimming, diving, any of the bowling, you know, any of the other sports that are sponsored by the NCAA, lacrosse, you don't have to sit out. You're immediately eligible. So it's a different set of rules depending on which sport that you uh, that you play in. The chair of that working group is John Steinbrecher. He's commissioner of the Mid-American Conference, the MAC. He says the current system is unsustainable. Working group members believe it's time to bring out uh, bring our transfer rules more in line with today's college landscape. This concept provides a uniform approach that is understandable, predictable, and objective. Most importantly, 
it benefits students. So again, the the four kind of caveats with being eligible to transfer, you get a, uh, a release from your previous school, you leave academically eligible, you maintain academic progress at the new school, and you're not under any sort of suspension for disciplinary measures. Here's the only problem that I've got with this. Transfer release from your current school. Are we going to give those universally, or are schools going to be able to block because they don't want somebody who's, uh, when everybody's eligible to transfer one time, are they going to go, well, yeah, but these are the restrictions. These are the schools that we will release you to. Are we going to allow schools to be able to say, oh, yeah, you can leave, but we will only release you if you don't go to anybody in our division, anybody in our league, or anybody on our football schedule for the next three years? And we're right back to square one. That's why the portal was invented. Yeah, and there, there's been some of that, and the negative press has almost always forced the schools to, to back up yeah. and do it. But that said, schools have just got to be smarter than this. They're never going to win. So hopefully somebody will, will speak up at the end. You know, if, if a coach says, well, I think we should just block. There's got to be somebody who says no because we're just going to come back in two weeks after everybody crucifies us and change it back to what, you're, what the original thing. Just let them go. If this is an NCA mandated rule, there probably has some input into what you know what would constitute a block. You know, if you can come up with a legitimate reason, if, especially if you feel like you've been tampered with, mm-hmm. then you've got something. But if it just you know you can't go anywhere in the SEC or anybody plays on our schedule for the next four years, no, nah, they're not gonna let that go. Out. Yeah, I mean, it feels like you've got to do away with that. Do, do you guys like Borky? Do you like where this is headed? Uh, I do. I do, as long as you remove the restriction. And the one thing I go back to, because anytime this comes up, and, and I was off the days that it did come up here, but the reaction is always, well, now Alabama's just going to go poach players from other schools. I think it was Mike Gundy that continues to speak negatively about this idea because his strategy is to not recruit high-level profile kids and develop them and win that way. And he he is outspoken, like, why would I continue doing this just so an Alabama can come in and take my best players? But I don't think that's going to happen as much as people think that it does. Because just take Alabama, for example. How many roster spots do you think they have available right now after signing day? What, probably, I don't know, four or five? Maybe. And so a school like in Alabama, maybe they go get a guy that's been at an Oklahoma State for a few years. But because teams are signing 25 guys every single year, they have to eliminate players before they can bring anybody in. So this idea that it's going to be free agency and all these players are going to get together and team up and go to Alabama to win a national championship as if that doesn't actually already happen, the spots aren't available for people to do that that much. Yeah, there are a couple of things. One, there are more players currently in the transfer portal than there are spots available. Two, according to the NCAA, one-third of student-athletes now transfer at least one time in their career. So a third of everybody's doing this anyway. And then to me, the the other thing, Borky, is you you got to put some sort of protection from tampering. You can't go and recruit kids who are currently enrolled at other schools just because you want them. That's a right. kid's got to decide... I want to do something else and then put them in the transfer portal, which then opens up being able to be recruited by other places. What, what does it say? To police that. It is, but. And it already happens, but you've got to find a way. Too. 
coaches and fans who say make comments like what Borky was saying. Oh, Alabama's going to get all these. They're going to come get all our players. What does it say about your program that you think your program is not good enough to hold on to happy players? The only pe- reason people are going to transfer nine times out of ten is if they're happy, is they're not playing. It could be like, like, I love it here, but I want to get on the field. Now, if somebody's unhappy, well, you want that guy out anyway. But Most really, of that works hand in hand. It, it just it just bothers me when, you know, this came up a few years ago in some MSU message boards. Like, oh, Saban will come over here and get Jeff Simmons. Like, What does it say about you and what you believe about Mississippi State? That you think Jeff Simmons is just itching to leave Mississippi State? Yeah. Some guys, they're happy where they are. To me, this has a, a larger negative impact on the group of five than it does Power 5. Um, because if you excel at the group of five level, maybe you are happy and, yeah. and you stay put. You're seeing a version of this, what you're talking about, with the grad transfer thing in college hoops. You really are. Going to- but by that same token, Richard, if you, it could benefit the group of five because there's a lot of four- and five-star players at big programs who aren't getting playing time. That's true. And they can want to find their way to a place where they know they could start. Yeah, it could, could work in both directions. Maybe you didn't get the opportunity to develop or to play as a four- or five-star at a group at a power five school. doesn't mean you're not talented any anymore. Right. So maybe you transferred down and you get the shot to play. Yeah. And let's use, oh, I don't know, Middle Tennessee as an example. An under-recruited Southern Mississippi guy that has well, I was going to try and not make it local. Yeah, you have an under-recruited wide receiver who has a growth spurt and develops once he gets to Murfreesboro and has three incredible seasons, and he thinks I can go play for a national championship. Mm-hmm. I can go play in the SEC. I can go play in the Pac-12, and can then make himself available. It kind of gives people the opportunity to better themselves. Yeah. In, in both directions. Which I'm, I'm totally for. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. We're broadcasting from M-Trade Park. Is that right? Mm-hmm. What have I done here? There we go. Booker T. In the MGs. Green Onions. That's right. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on every now and then I surprise you, huh? Like you didn't expect to meet him. You should know old music like that. Yeah, fair enough. Since I'm an old guy. Yeah. Yeah, you're about to be 40. That's right. We just talked about that yesterday. Yes. Thought you already. 40. At least yesterday I was forty. At least we've gotten to about to be forty. Yeah. Hey, close enough. It is on the horizon. I'll be forty-five this year. Forty-five. Running out of time. Ah! Running out of time. Old man. Feel it. Close uh, to half a hundred. Yeah. Five <laughs> years from now. Yeah. Could have gone half a ninety, but sure. Yeah. When you start, when you start measuring your life, not in years, but in decades. Yeah. It's uh, four and a half decades now. Yeah. Wow, I am old. Uh, good to be with you this afternoon. It is Sports Talk Mississippi. The Ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395 is the number. Ceasefire reminds you that Mississippi's future cannot wait. From our kids to our economy, everything's on the line when it comes to computer science education in our schools. That's why Ceasefire is working with state leaders on a bill that will call for every school to teach computer science. Join Ceasefire in the fight by texting FUTURE to 50457 or visit OurMSFuture.com. The time is now, Mississippi. Uh, two, two things. I just realized in that little conversation we had, I've been alive in six decades, so I'm going to go, you know, probably jump off a building. What was Nom like? <laughs> well played. Uh, but secondly, to prove how old I am, I was in the first class at my high school that went from... That had we, color television? Well, no, that we had computer science. Like the year before that, it was typewriting. Oh, yeah. So, 
You went to from typewriting to keyboarding? Yeah. I didn't ever take typewriting. I took keyboarding. Yeah. Somehow I missed, did not take any sort of word processing in high school. Really? I thought that was like mandatory. It may have been, yeah. but I didn't take it. <laughs> His huh. wife took it for him. No, we didn't go to high school together. <laughs> I mean, like, I know ASDF, JKL, Semi. Yeah. You know the QWERTY? Well, yes. I mean, I realize that that's the top left yeah. part of the keyboard, but I don't type. Huh? Are you a, are you a two-finger typer? Yeah, I'm faster than that. Okay. I mean, I'm, I am a proficient hunter and pecker, I suppose. There you go. You are. You Never, never mind. Continue. You know, if uh, – <laughs> well played – if you had to do one of those like timed, you know, people yeah. are like, oh, 60 words a m- yeah. minute or 70 words a minute or, you know, whatever the. I, I don't know where I would fall in that category. Yeah. I wouldn't certainly be 60, but I think it would be respectable, efficient. Yeah, there you go. Uh, anyway, um, how did we get off on that? Me being oh, old. Oh, you being old. Me being old. Hey, I was talking about where he took the computer thing where the computer took up the entire room and like one at a time they went in there. <laughs> yeah. Had a lot of vacuum Did you buy tubes. any Apple stock when it debuted? <laughs> I wish I had. I wouldn't be sitting here with you two bums right now. It's a fair enough question. Borky, what is the poll question today? The poll question, uh, because of the news that Drew Brees is returning to the Saints for at least 2020, is who will be his backup? Teddy Bridgewater, so far 26% of the 137 of you said it will be him. Taysom Hill, 48%. And a quarterback in the draft, which is only 25%. I suspect that's going to be significantly higher uh, after the draft. Okay. I could see him. I could see them drafting a quarterback, but I don't know that he'll be the backup. I could see the Saints trying to find another veteran. So the news came out about 11 o'clock this morning via Instagram. Drew Brees posting that uh, he is returning for another year. Let's ride, boys, whatever it was specifically that he said. Uh, the two of you. Borky, hey, Dad, obviously you're big Saints fans. Are you on board with this? How can I not be? I mean, it's Drew Brees. He's still still playing at a high level. I mean, he has, his last game was bad. The, the Vikings game, he played poorly. But he played really well last season. Uh, they still have weapons around him. The, the, the window is still open for the Saints to win a Super Bowl. Why, I, I can't not be on board with Drew Brees coming back. Even in his diminished state, which he's not as good as he was three, four years ago, he's still a top at worst, 10 quarterback and probably higher than that in the NFL. It makes from, every oh, – I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say from a vacation spot that looks tropical and beautiful and warm, Drew Brees on Instagram posted, my feelings about the 2020 season. I look forward to the grind and the journey for the reward at the end will be worth it. Love you. Hashtag Houdat Nation. Let's make another run at it. Uh, I don't know if it was a humble brag from while he was on vacation, but to me, Borky, the most important thing that's there, and I want I, I want your thoughts from a second ago as well, he says, I look forward to the grind and the journey. And to me, that speaks to Drew Brees not saying, I look forward to playing one more year, but a guy who is very aware of the toll that it takes on you mentally and physically to go through an entire NFL season, and, and he is embracing doing that again, not just, oh, I want to play games for another year. Yeah, he's one of those guys that's wired. He and Tom Brady both are are just unique people in their desire to do all of the difficult stuff. Like, play, if you remember back in your youth football days, very different at that level, um, games were fun. Practice was not fun. And they're the type of people that embrace and enjoy that kind of thing, and that's why they're as good as they are and still playing into their 40s. But 
It, this leaves a, a precarious situation for the Saints when you look at what they have to do now because they have to give Drew Brees a contract. And the way they've restructured his deals over the last couple of years, they've kind of pushed money down the road. He's not going to get like $32 million, but it's going to be more than the twenty five that he had the last two years. They have to do it that way because they've kicked some of his money down the road to make some of these signings like Cam Jordan and Michael Thomas and people like that. On top of that, you have to figure out what you're doing next because Teddy Bridgewater is a unrestricted free agent and he's going to command too much money on the market. I think you can go ahead and write off the idea that he's going to be a Saint next year. I don't think it's going to happen. Somebody like Chicago or whoever misses on maybe a Phillip Rivers. I know Indianapolis is talking to him, but I think uh, two places like that, even with Jacoby Brissett and, uh, don't laugh, Mitch Trubisky, uh, you have an option there um, that would pay more than what the Saints would be willing to pay for a backup for another year. And so what do you do with Taysom Hill? Do you keep him in his current role, and how much money are you willing to give him when you have shown, I don't care what they say, what you have shown is that you don't believe that he is the future at that quarterback position, and now you're seeing mock drafts one after the other saying the Saints are going to go ahead and draft a quarterback in, in this year's draft with Jordan Love being the guy that everybody's focused on, which I think would be a great value pick at that point in the draft, picking a quarterback for your future. But it is a team, as Haydad said, that is built to win right now, especially when you look at what's coming back. I mean, they won 13 games a year ago, and Drew Brees missed five, and he was the most famous one. But more importantly, you had Marcus Davenport, who was playing at an extremely high level, got hurt, missed uh, the rest of the season just a few weeks in. And then Sheldon Rankins came back late, but he wasn't fully healthy. He's now got a full offseason to come back and uh, have a healthy defensive line. And then Anzalone and Kiko Alonso, your linebackers, will be back. So it's a team that uh, will get better just by default because they'll be getting healthy. There's a real chance that they have a Super Bowl caliber team this year and they don't really have to do anything at all. I mean, they need a number two wide receiver, but there's multiple ways they can get that. And when you have a Michael Thomas, you don't need to go spend a bunch of money in free agency to go get a receiver. You can either draft one or maybe there's a number two guy out there somewhere. They have a team that's already ready-made to win at that level this coming year. So it's threading the needle of the quarterback position that is so fascinating what they have to do with Bridgewater. I suspect he'll get an offer that he will turn down. Taysom Hill, he thinks that he's a starting quarterback somewhere. I he's suspect not. He's not. I suspect he will learn that very quickly. And then what do you do with your draft pick? Because if Jordan Love is there you need a guy for your future and he's the type of quarterback that we talked about this past offseason where if you look at NFL and successful NFL quarterbacks they didn't play at football factories they had to deal with not having the best receivers and the best offensive line and the best coaching and analysts and all that stuff he fits that mold and he's a really talented productive quarterback on top of that what do you do so a really fascinating offseason upcoming for that team Jillian Madison asks an interesting question. He says, do you think the Saints pushed hard for him to stay so that his street cred in New Orleans would soften the PR problems that they have right now? That's not a terrible suggestion. That, that, that's something that makes sense. That Breeze is the face of your franchise. It gives you a little extra stability. Stabi- well, stability. But, but credibility is Credibility is something, something that people don't want to – me, I don't want to not cheer for Drew, Drew Breeze. So – yeah, it, 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 that's something out there. Here's an idea, Borky. Tell me what you think. Do you try to work a sign and trade with with Bridgewater? 
put the deal together for him and then trade him for a higher draft choice. So, I mean, I like Jordan Love. Ooh, I like that. What if you could get into the top ten and you have an opportunity to get Justin Herbert? Or could you get into the top five and have an opportunity to get Tua? I'm, I'm, I didn't actually start praying at that moment. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> but there's something there. You know, it wouldn't be a ter- the worst idea in the world to try. But would Bridgewater agree to that because then he wouldn't get to pick what team he goes to? Well, yeah, I mean, you got to figure that out. But, I mean, the teams that are that you'd want to trade to for a draft pick are probably the teams that are looking for a Teddy Bridgewater. A lot of different angles to this. Yeah. Do you trust the uh, the front office in New Orleans? Yes. With the Saints? Yeah, without a doubt. Yes. Okay. So, so you think they will navigate this in the yes. right way? Yes. Uh, Richard and Wiggins sent us a message that said, Taysom Tebow. I'd say skill set a little bit better than Tebow's. Definitely. But I get the comparison. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Live from M-Trade Park on this Tuesday afternoon. So, Rippy, what was the argument that you got into with the uh, Greek philosopher on Twitter yesterday? He was upset that I gave their starting rotation, who none of them saw a seventh inning, partially by design. I get pitch count and all that, a B-plus across the board. And he equated that to sucking the life out of the room and equating it to beating Arkansas State, who they play tomorrow. So maybe I'll give them an A-plus for beating the Red Wolves. Wait, they, no, they don't. They, play, they were supposed to play Arkansas State. Oh, that's State right. It's today. Alcorn tomorrow. I keep getting that backwards. Yeah, so you, you had baseball in Starkville today against Samford. No more. Yeah. And no rescheduled Apparently day. Apparently it is pouring in, in Starkville. Yeah, Rebistato is also going into my internet uh, name catalog. You like that one, though, don't you? I wasn't sure which one it was. There's another guy, Cato the Elder, who tweets at us a lot, too. Okay. So I didn't know which Greek philosopher we were referring to. Odds are one, if not both, is muted. But, yeah, uh, (laughs) Rebistotl's going on the list as well. Philip says, currently in Starkville, rain with a chance of loading animals two by two, arc needed. So, good decision to not play baseball this afternoon. Yeah. Um, We got a, a text earlier. I don't see... There it is. Jeff. Jeff says... Kind of nails it. The turf baseball field at Pete Taylor Park already has benefited the Golden Eagles. This past weekend, looks like it might benefit them again tonight. Supposed to play UNO tonight. And uh, the deal is no lightning, play ball. I mean, assuming it's not like torrential. Right. I mean, where you're sliding off the mound, you know. Yeah, I mean, if it's like legitimate loading the animals two by two rain, then maybe you're not playing in that. Does it have dirt or just all turf? The whole thing is turf. Why couldn't you do dirt, turf, and a tarp? I guess you could. We talked in detail about that with Scott Berry the other day. I got that. But like, what's the downside in? to having dirt? Well, if it rains, you can't keep playing. I guess. What, what do you mean? I mean, you ask what the downside to having any dirt on the field was. I some mean, places they, some places that have turf, they still do dirt cutouts around the bases. But if it's raining bases. hard enough for it to mess up dirt, aren't the odds it's probably too raining hard to throw and pitch the ball anyway? No. I mean, if it did, like, just a steady mist could, like, make that dirt over the course of half an hour or 45 minutes, like, gooey and stick it on your cleats and you got to clean it down all the time where it's a turf, you just keep going. What's your aversion to a turf mound? I don't have aversion to a turf mound. I just think, like... Dirt, nat- more natural surface, probably better. But it's more organic, you know, hippie stuff. Bernie Sanders kind well, of thing. Well, doesn't the yeah. it, and I've I've talked to you that, smoke dirt. That was okay. a stretch. I, I made it work. Sorry, go ahead, Borky. Um, I don't even remember what I was going to say now. 
the Bernie Sanders train derailed you as well? I said dirt, not derp. Dirt. Um, Skirp. Skirp. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, 601-879-439. What? (laughs) 601-879-4395. Phillips says, like Vandy, they've got plastic grass and plastic dirt. It's true. They don't have 16 scholarships, though. Yeah. Uh, the problem is if the the dirt on the pitcher's mound becomes mud, and you can't play in mud. Can't play baseball, no. Not baseball. Um, let's talk some basketball tonight. You uh, you got four games in the SEC. The Super Tuesday game is uh, LSU and Kentucky in Baton Rouge tonight. How does that one go? A couple weeks ago, I told you LSU was going to win pretty easily. Yes. Now, now I think Kentucky might win that. LSU looks like they're they're trending down a little bit. How about Kentucky getting points tonight in Baton Rouge? Ooh, ooh. Uh, I might be, we might have a pick of the day candidate. You hit yesterday, by the way. No, I didn't. I thought you took Notre Dame to. Uh... We did. They were minus four, I believe. They won by one. Oh, they were minus four. Are you are, are you aware of how? Okay, I thought they. <laughs> I thought they were the underdog. Okay, my bad. Yeah. No. No, it was not uh, not a win. Well, disappointingly, this has become a fairly regularly good February matchup the last couple of years. It has, yeah. Feels like it's usually on a Saturday though, right? Not middle of the week. Ah, uh, that wasn't the wasn't LSU going into Rupp last year and winning a weeknight deal. I think so. May have been, but they, they they've gone twice. I know that the last couple. that crazy comeback game all those many years ago was a, was a weekday game. I want to say. Vanderbilt is getting 13 tonight at Tennessee. That seems high. Rivalry game? Well, Vanderbilt's just, they don't play like their record. They, 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 no, they don't. They, they, Except Saturday night. Well, yeah. I mean, you're going to have a stinker like that every now and then. But. Arkansas is getting 7.5 tonight at Florida. Florida played really, really well on Saturday night, albeit against Vanderbilt. Ole Miss is getting a point tonight at Missouri. And Kentucky is getting two and a half at LSU. I feel like LSU has played okay, but not great. Yeah. Well, I mean, when they were on that winning streak, I think every one of their wins was like six points or less or something like that. I mean, eventually those kind of things tend to balance out. Borky, based on the point spreads, so Vandy winning, Arkansas winning, Ole Miss winning, Kentucky winning would technically be upsets. Although, it's a loose definition there. Who's most likely to pull an upset out of those four teams that are getting points tonight? I think the easy answer is Kentucky. But, man, with the way they've played lately, I know they lost Saturday, but Ole Miss plus the point seems like a I mean, a pretty safe bet, even though it's on the road, right? It's not like it's going to be some raucous atmosphere in Columbia tonight. Covering Kermit. Missouri's played better of lately. This would be like if I was like even remotely perusing this, probably just stay away. Yeah, because I have no idea what's going to happen. Neither one of these teams have been very consistent. Ole Miss has been its most consistent self the last two and what spanning three weeks now, I guess, just about. Yeah, but Missouri late game execution off. aside, I mean, it's almost that. Actually, now, now that I think about it, I don't agree with myself. But, uh, I mean, Ole Miss's most impressive game in the last four was in Rupp. I mean, with the, the, how they played defensively and how they were able to absorb blows, especially in the second half, and, and keep fighting back, I thought that was as impressive as beating South Carolina and Florida and Mississippi State the way they did. It just showed you 
that those three games weren't a fluke, that they actually are playing to that level, right? Yeah, I think probably most. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just thinking of the four. Man, I just disagreed with myself, so go for it. (laughs) I'll try to do the same. But I think the uh, probably most complete in that stretch was Florida. I mean, they had 51 points. Yeah, I would. I, th- I think I would agree with that. But but I mean, they played well against South Carolina. They played well against Florida, and they played well against uh, against Mississippi State. I mean, you could argue that maybe Mississippi State was the best that they played. I just think team wise, it was probably Florida because you had Tyree just kind of lose his mind in the second half because the first like eleven minutes of that state game was things were going pretty south. Yeah, I don't know. When you have Tyree go for 25 and other people contribute and you play really good defense, that probably feels more complete than when he goes just crazy for 40. Well, the Florida game, he had 23, and it didn't feel like he made – I'm not saying he didn't make an impact on the game. It, you just didn't – you almost didn't notice it. Yeah. Um, you know, with Missouri, Borky, to your point just a second ago, there's no question that Kentucky is a far superior team and a – far more talented team than Missouri is. And so you go, you don't get to really do the transitive property thing where you go, well, you played Kentucky tough and you had a chance to win it at the end, and now you're playing a team that's much less talented, so that means you you win that one with ease, right? That's not exactly how it works because the flip side of that would be Auburn is more talented than Missouri, and Missouri just punched Auburn in the mouth on, on Saturday at home. And one of you earlier said not a very raucous crowd, and you may be right. It's probably it's not going to be full. I mean, that arena seats 15,000, but in each of their last two games, their, each of their last two home games, Missouri has had over 10,000 people there. Now, one, those were both Saturdays. One of them was the Rally for Ryan game. I was about to say novelty thing. I didn't it, know what it was. Yeah, it was. so the, the former assistant coach, Brad Luce's daughter, who has uh, had pediatric cancer, that's the game each year that they, uh, they raise money for her, and they had 10, 11,000 for that game two weeks ago, but then this past Saturday against Auburn, had their biggest crowd of the year, over 12,000 on Saturday. So when that place is – I've never seen Missouri Arena full, but being in there for games when it's two-thirds full, if they ever get to the point where they're filling that place up again, I mean, you, you've got another contender for most difficult place to play in the SEC. It's big and it's straight up and it's loud, and they just care so much about basketball. It's that, just been terrible. Say, like – that's the old Big 12 days yes. still coming over. That, that basketball was so big for them. Yes. So. I mean, think about it. Mizzou used to, like, not only host but beat Kansas in yeah. that building. Yeah. Unbelievable rivalry when those two teams were getting after it. Like in the Quinn Snyder days. Remember when Quinn Snyder was the, I do the remember coach this. at Missouri? I do, very much. Then you had uh, Frank Haith. Mm-hmm. Kind of had it going a little bit, and then he bailed right before the NCAA came to town. Yeah, we know why. As he did at Miami. Yeah, that's his speciality. Yeah, so if he leaves Tulsa on his own, then... Uh, you know something's about to happen. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Three games tomorrow night in the SEC. Auburn is at Georgia. Texas A&M is at Alabama. And South Carolina is at Mississippi State. We talked about it before the show, I think, and I tweeted it out. State has moved up a line on Lenardi's most recent bracketology now in the first four out. So a win might get them back to you know last four in with the bye or not with the bye the the, the play in game so no wiggle room you stole my news I told you that I cover Mississippi State you got to let me, you let me have even, that you one. hadn't even seen it and I told you and you're I like, said oh, we talked about up. it before the show last four buys Wichita State Purdue Arizona State Virginia last four in Southern Cal East Tennessee State Utah State Georgetown first four out Indiana trending down Alabama Richmond. And hey, Dad's Mississippi State.
Sports Talk Mississippi will be right back. Talked about it yesterday. It feels like the story with the Astros cheating scandal is not going to go away. As much as Rob Manfred on Sunday thought that he could make a statement and make things kind of settle down, all he did was take a uh, can of gasoline and pour, just toss it right onto the fire. Um, and the reaction from players, and in a lot of ways players that you wouldn't expect to speak out, speaking out and speaking out with vigor, it's, it, I mean, it's like an avalanche. It's just over and over and over. Sports Talk Mississippi broadcasting live from M-Trade Park tonight where the spring soccer season will begin. We're going to have soccer. It's not raining right now, and we hope the rain is going to hold off tonight, and it doesn't feel like spring, but such is life in February. It felt like spring earlier today. It was like 62. Yeah, it was And then it started raining, and the wind started blowing, and temperature started dropping. That's how it goes. That's two weeks in a row I've come up here, and it's been raining on me. What are well, you doing? I got news for you. Yeah. All the time that you haven't been here in the last two weeks, yeah. also it's been raining. I don't know if I believe you. What's it been doing in Starkville? Raining. Okay. Same here. Um, uh, breaking news, by the way. I know you teased baseball, but Greg breaking? Olson just signed a one-year deal with Seattle. So he left Carolina. People thought that was to retire and become a broadcaster. No, Russell Wilson now has uh, an elite-level tight end weapon. What's his three-cone drill, though? Not good enough. Oh. Mm. That's, um, yeah, I just kind of assumed that this was kind of like in the mold of some of these other guys who have said, you know, I'm good. I'm going to step away at a young, healthy age. Hasn't he He been doing some broadcasting already? He's doing XFL, but he said he wasn't retiring. He just said he and the Panthers are splitting ways Hmm. in whatever in-house thing they put out when it happened. Do you think he was not pleased with the coaching staff direction with Matt Rule? No, I think there's rebooting. Yeah, I mean... Cam Newton's not going to be there. The, the, he, he's ready to go. Where does he go? He certainly is doing better going to Seattle. I mean, playing with Russell Wilson. So, Boy, that's that, that's a win-win for both sides, isn't yeah, it? Everybody came out good on that deal. No doubt. Yeah. So, Russell Wilson has, now has one of the top tight ends in the league mm-hmm. as a target to kind of add to an offense. I mean, there are some The weapons. NFC West is, is tough. Yeah. I mean, because the Rams, I think, will be better this year. So, where does Seattle need to improve? Offensive line, receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they need somebody with DK, and they need they need a, who's who's a running back right now. Offensive well, but, but, but DK, line help. Hold yeah. on, DK Metcalf wasn't the only. They they had a second receiver. I mean, a guy that had better yards or better numbers than him, right? Lockett. Yeah, not very big though. I mean, you, you need another big guy on the outside. It's good. It's a good draft class though. There's plenty of receivers to choose. So from. so you get go get another big receiver and try and help yourself on the offensive line. Where they're drafting, Jerry Judy could very easily be available. Who? They suddenly go from Russell Wilson carried them into the playoffs to they've got weapons everywhere. Yeah. And a lot of time left with Russell Wilson. Yeah, he ain't going anywhere. Like, what, five years left on that deal? Yeah. That new hairdo he's got needs to go ahead and uh, end its time. We can't have that. I don't guess I've seen... He's got he like an A.C. A- Slater look going right now. I say he had kind of a Jerry Curl look, right? Yeah, he had yeah. that. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> he looks like he should be singing for Color Me Bad or something, to be totally honest with you. I don't understand either of those references. A.C. <laughs> Slater was saved by the bell. Sorry. 
Yeah, I, I get that that was uh, before you. Um, so let, seriously, Black and white? No, it was color. That's Russell Wilson? That's Russell Wilson. Who's that with him? Is that Sierra? Yes, I, I was kidding. I don't know. Um, future think about that. So on on Friday like it. On on the baseball front, is Nick Marcakis? I mean, is that is that the newest one, Borky, that really stands out for you? Yeah, and every time a player speaks this strongly, that I mean ruins the credibility of everybody was doing this in baseball. It, it, You had multiple players from multiple teams that if they actually were doing it, it would come out really quickly. And a guy like Mike Trout and then this, and you've had Dodgers players, and I mean everybody around the league with this strong of a stance, I mean maybe they're all full of it, but that tells me this idea that everybody was doing this is completely bogus. Do you have Marcakis' quote up in front of you? Uh, um, yes, I do. Oh, oh that, 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 this is the one. I heard this earlier today. I don't even know if you can get away with saying what he said. But Nick Marcakis said, every single guy over there needs a beating. It's anger, Marcakis told reporters of his reaction to the Astros scandal and the ensuing response. I feel like every guy over there needs a beating. It's wrong. They're messing with people's careers. So the way the media works now, Dusty Baker, who's now the manager of the Astros, was immediately asked for his reaction. Dusty Baker said, that's cool. I ain't commenting on everybody's comments. Go ahead. You want to beat on us? Go ahead. Marcakis also said the Astros' actions were damaging to baseball. He said there's right ways to do it and wrong ways to do it. I 100% disagree with the way they did it. There's a lot of people that were hurt by it, and it was wrong. The way he handled the situation, talking about Rob Manfred, he should be embarrassed of himself. I don't know that I can ever remember in any sport a time when players in that sport were as openly critical of the commissioner as baseball players have been in the last week of Rob Manfred. It's been a while, nothing I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, players from time to time will take a shot at Roger Goodell. Yeah, Adam, not The Adam, kneeling is uh, probably most comparable. David Stern took, took some heat when he nixed the uh, Chris Paul trade to the Lakers. Nothing like this. No. Not where you go to one or two players. Everybody, every, every other every team. Every team has had something to say. Joe Judge had something to say today. Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge. I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just called him a bunch of cheaters. Yeah. Said, no, they'll never be looked at uh, the same again. Timing also doesn't help. You have these dudes showing up at spring training facilities. Hadn't talked to him in. Yeah. Other than, like, Fan Fest stuff in January. Like and that's we, most of them you know, skip. You hadn't talked to him in months. We, we talked to every college baseball coach in this, the big ones in the state. We we you know, wonder if they would tell us their thoughts on this. Sure. Should, somebody asked. Uh, somebody asked Keenan or Casey about banging trash cans, and they just laughed. <laughs> <laughs> what would Aaron Judge hit if he knew what was coming? Just half the time, if he knew every, every time, other pitch, every time, up. what would he hit? He'd break Bonds' record in about two seasons. Hey, well, would it be five hundred? Probably have the 2017 MVP. Yeah, he, that, that's real money he lost. Because you know he's got a, a, a clause in his contract to win the MVP, you get an extra million dollars or something. I, to me, though, Mike Trout's even the better example than Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is a home run hitter. Even if he knows what he's coming, he's going to miss some and, and he's going to strike out. Because that's kind of his swing. Mike Trout is – is there any argument that he's the best hitter in baseball? Best player in baseball, yeah. Well, he's the best player, but I'm, I'm talking about hitting specifically. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you heard Mike Trout kind of make reference the other day. He's like, 
Wish I could stand up there and know what was coming. That'd be fun. The guy who doesn't do anything, by the way. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine Tony Gwynn playing knowing what pitch was? Tony Gwynn never struck out not knowing what pitch was coming. Yeah. Imagine if he actually knew what was coming, the hitter that he could be. And yet, can Rob Manfred do anything other than just sit there and take the arrows that are being slung? And hope that it well, eventually I mean, dies he wants, down. Unless he wants to, to jump back into the fray, I don't know. What, what's he going to do? Start suspending players for talking bad about him? Well, the, no, well, no, no, no. I was talking about do something to the Astros. There was an interesting article today on the Athletic about that too, about how if they had tried to suspend players, they would have lost in uh, in arbitration. Which is fascinating to me because it would have been the players' union that was arguing in favor of the Astros, but it's players all over baseball that are speaking out against this right. that want to see it. Basically, they said if, if you didn't see it that. Because the GM for the Astros never said anything to the players, and then on top of that, the manager, A.J. Hinch, saw what was going on and didn't ever say, hey, stop that, that the players could take that as, okay, this is perfectly okay for us to do, and they would have lost, they would have lost all of those suspensions. Imagine being an adult man, professional baseball player, and that being your defense. <laughs> that, that's your defense. But you'd and win. it's going to hold you'd up. you win. You, then you still have to do it, though. If you lose an arbitration, you lose. But my gosh, you have to show that you've got some teeth. Well, I mean, how much money do you lose on that? You mean you could, you could, you would. The, the comment was they would look like idiots, basically. And well, I get worse. why they're not doing it. Just yeah. To... It's it's just that's just poor management from the top from Manfred down to the. Those here's teams. the thing. Here's the the issue that I've got, and I know we've we've talked about this a little bit, but Manfred coming out and very publicly saying. Anybody that seeks retribution by trying to hit Astros players when they're in the batter's box, they're going to be met with even stiffer penalties than normally you would get for that. How do you lay that out there, and you're penalizing guys for taking some justice into their own hands because Major League Baseball didn't do anything to penalize them, and baseball traditionally is a sport where players kind of take things into their own hands, so you didn't didn't penalize the cheaters but you're going to penalize the guys who are going the indie justice route. Basically. I mean, that, that's, that's what he's saying. Took a it's harder just, oh, stance gonna... on the retaliation than the actual act. Yes. Yes. It's just, it's, unsettling's not the right word. It's just such a bad look for baseball. Such a bad look. There are going to be fights. There are going to be beanballs. Those Astros players are going to get to the point where they get sick of getting hit, and they're going to start retaliating, and you are going to end up, this is my prediction in February, you are going to end up with at least one really ugly brawl in Major League Baseball, and it's going to be Rob Manfred's fault. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll take a quick timeout. Be back at M-Trade Park. o'clock hour with you sports talk mississippi broadcasting live today from m trade park in oxford that is the facility that was formerly fnc park about a month ago they had the ribbon cutting for kind of the new branding of this facility m trade a uh, a local company that uh, focuses on 
mortgages, the packaging and selling of mortgages to financial institutions. You may have, uh, if you just joined us, you missed a conversation with Chip Bolton from M Trade just a little while ago. But a ten-year uh, partnership for M Trade to be the naming sponsor of this incredible facility. Brad Freeman will join us uh, bottom of the hour. We're going to talk to Brad. Uh, generally, he's a pretty fascinating guy. If you're a Mississippi State fan or just someone who has lived in the state of Mississippi, you uh, you certainly recognize that name. Uh, former baseball player at Mississippi State, played uh, professional baseball, played professional football for a little while, and um, probably so. Oxford High School, what you know, won a state championship in football this year. It was his first ever. Been some really good teams. Probably the best quarterback that ever played at Oxford High School. There, You might get some argument about that one way or the other. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I would say people that saw him play would uh, agree with that. In fact, I, I heard it said, so Brad, he played baseball at Mississippi State, hey, Dad, but then his senior year walked on the football team as a backup punter as well. Mm-hmm. And I heard a conversation that took place become, uh, between a couple of other quarterbacks that were on the roster at uh, that time that said, Sure, I'm glad he didn't decide to come play football sooner. Because <laughs> he was probably the best quarterback on campus the entire time he was at Mississippi State. State has had a laundry list of guys who played other sports that would have been really good. At, at, or or at played, would have played other sports Sure, could have been good at their other sport. Eric Moulds, I always heard he was the best basketball player on campus, even in the final four years. Which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. They said he, they said he, freakish he would go and play with those guys and just dominate them. Borky, it's time for the College Football Fix. Let's do that right now. College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. When you do, you will see that it is truck month, which means great deals on the best-selling Ford F-150, best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. Also, you got the Ranger and the Super Duty. Great options. Test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. We talked earlier about the uh, legislation that is now going to go to a uh, uh, well voting situation with the NCAA to uh, put one-time transfers with no sitting out in play all across college athletics. We'll circle back to that in just a couple of uh, minutes, but a couple of other college football nuggets. Clemson and Georgia are going to open the 2021 season against each other. That's the good news. The bad news, or the unfortunate news, is that it will not happen between the Hedges and at Death Valley. It's going to happen in Charlotte. So they will not play each other on campus. They will play at a neutral site. That's to kick off the 2021 season at Bank of America Stadium in September. So September 4th. Um, I, I like this on the surface, but I just don't like it as much as if I had heard 2021, 2022, one of them in Clemson and one of them in Athens. And Florida State and LSU are doing the same thing, right? Same Florida thing. State's going to be, well, the road in game Orlando. at Florida State in Orlando, and then the and other the, side's going to be in the Superdome. These aren't even neutral site games. Yeah, it's I mean, just home games at a different venue. Is, it's just a home game at a different stadium. Yeah. Like, why are you doing that? Because somebody's writing you a check for $5 million. You're telling me you can't get more than $5 million playing that game at home? You can charge a premium for that ticket. Okay, maybe it's more than that. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be something. This doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and... It and creates an eighth home game, right? Isn't that why they're yeah. doing that, is so you can play, air quotes, at home eight times? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the right way to look at it, Borky. So you get your seven home games still, and then this is your neutral site, or, or you know, your 
this is your you know required power five game if you're Georgia. Although in Georgia's case, they got Georgia Tech at the end of the year, so it's just eh, another one close to five. home. <laughs> Come on, two years from now, surely they're trending in the the right direction. You would think so. At times, looked like they were trending. Georgia Tech looked like they were trending in the right direction this year. Don't doubt until the, the Citadel comes to town. Yeah, fair, uh, fair enough. Um, so, yes, we celebrate this, but it's a muted celebration it's, because it's just it could like be better. Meh. Somebody made a good tweet. They're like, "What if I told you they moved all the bowl games to Week One?" That's what you're getting now. You're getting these these top line games, but they're in neutral sites. Yeah. So. Um, the we'd be really excited. Is the trend now going back in this direction? Because we spent the last year with a whole bunch of announcements of on-campus home and home, and we all applauded them. The problem is they weren't going to be played until 2030 and 2032 or whatever. And now it feels like we've gotten a handful of announcements recently where it was, oh, it's neutral site. Now, devil's advocate on this. When we started trending toward the neutral site games and we're getting great matchups, Yeah. That was better than what we had where teams were not playing anybody, we were playing a bunch of holding games. Right. So when you got Alabama against Michigan in Dallas, or Florida State against Ole Miss in Orlando, yeah. people looked forward to that game. Yeah. It would have been cooler to do Tallahassee and Oxford for a home and home, but you knew you probably weren't going to get that, or were not going to get that. Ole Miss Boise State in Atlanta. That was pretty cool. So I, I don't know exactly where I, I fall I, on I just this. want them to be actual neutral site games. If, if you're telling me that Georgia and, and Clemson are playing in Texas or playing in Arizona, California, sure, that's cool. Because now you're getting a cool trip for your fans and, and things like that, as opposed to this, where you just we're just going to play a couple hours down the road. Ole Miss playing Texas Tech in Houston this year. I'm sorry, playing uh, Baylor. Baylor in Houston this yeah. year to open the season. Yeah. To me, Rippy, so much of this is circumstantial, right? As to whether or not people are excited about it. it. Had you not had the change that you had at Ole Miss, Ole Miss against Baylor in Houston with Matt Luke at the head coach, as the head coach, you would have been fortunate to have 3,000 Ole Miss fans at that game. I think more would go because it's a destination city and it's like a bowl game, which they hadn't been to in a while. Same thing with 18. They didn't get to have a bowl game, so that was like their destination thing. There were more than 3,000 Ole Miss people at that game. They would have gone, no, 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 no. But I'm not talking about two years ago to get Texas Tech. I'm talking about no, I understand. if you had kept the status quo, then in terms of Ole Miss fans that would have gone to Houston to see Ole Miss play Baylor to open 2020, you think that well, maybe Didn't a few. did the game have a clause where they could have made some changes with if like the NCAA investigation in particular for Ole Miss. I remember us talking about that a couple of years ago, that this game, that something could have happened. But, yeah, I mean, with Matt Rule leaving, and I mean, I saw the the graphic, which is all it was, last week or two weeks ago that said Ole Miss was 219% uh, ahead of season ticket sales from a year ago. <laughs> to say that there was no excitement is kind of underselling how just awful it would have been this year as far as attendance and whatnot. And I guess that's what I'm getting at, and, and the reason I said some of the success of these games is circumstantial. Either you've got a massive fan base and your team is going to be competing to be in the college football playoff and so people are going to go regardless, or there needs to be a hook. 
there was a lot of excitement going into that 2016 season when Ole Miss played Florida State and Ole Miss took 25 or 30,000 fans to Orlando. There was no hook going into this year prior to Lane Kiffin being hired, but now people are all excited about a new head coach, and so instead of three to 5,000, whatever that number is, that Ole Miss would have taken to Houston, it'll now be north of 20,000, yeah. maybe closer to 30,000, just because people are excited. Funny how that works. Because they have a little bit of hope. Yeah. And Houston's a cool place. It is a cool town. I'm a fan of Houston. Mississippi State. Season opener coming up against New Mexico or New Mexico State. New, yeah, New Mexico. Okay, but whatever. It's the one that Ole Miss didn't play this year. Okay, so New Mexico is who they will open the season with. Okay. If Joe Moore had been in place, you would have had a good crowd because it was a season opener. Who you're pushing? But you would have had a good-ish you crowd. Have had a good crowd. I don't think it would have been hot. I, well, okay, forty thousand. No. 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 Really? Eleven a.m. kick for New Mexico? No. And it's ninety-seven degrees. Yeah. My, 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 my now, let, now let's say Mike Leach. Let's just fast forward. Well, not only that, but north the, of 50,000. The, the rumor mill is turning out that this game might get moved to Thursday now. So oh. uh, very possible that that could happen. And if that's the case, either way, I think it'll be a, bit, a much bigger crowd. A Saturday game at 11 a.m., probably 55 to 60. Give me a Thursday night where it's, it might be a little cooler. You could get close to a sellout, I think, at that point. Would that be the SEC Network's Thursday so, night yeah. game? That's, that's, a, that's just rumor right now. Nothing's been confirmed. But it's, go, it's going around. So this is cemented as Thursday. Cemented. Write it down in permanent ink. Brian Haydad has reported Mississippi State <laughs> will use open its 2020 football season the, uh, at home on Thursday night on the SEC Network against the Lobos. Something like that. Currently no this. SEC team is scheduled to play that night, although you have Clemson at Georgia Tech, which would the, be the, the comment I made. The comment I made on the podcast, and I'll make it here now, uh, I think there will be more people at the spring game this year than there would have been for Moorhead opening up the season against New Mexico. Mm. I, I was going to tell you probably about maybe 30000 for that game. Maybe. Alabama is adding Charlie Strong as a defensive analyst. Time to rehab. That, uh, that staffer Nick Saban seems to uh, replant. He, he doesn't. We build, he reloads. he reloads the staff. Not just the players, the staff. Goodness. Sports Talk Mississippi. That's your college football fix. We'll be back to M-Trade Park after this. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. On this Tuesday, lights are on outside. It is sprinkling. The wind is blowing. It is perfect February soccer weather in North Mississippi. We're at M-Trade Park, and tonight is the opening night of the spring soccer season. Uh, I know there are parts of the state of Mississippi where that would not be tenable right now, uh, but at least to this point, the weather has uh, not been prohibitive for them getting started tonight. So they're going to try and do that. Uh, we're going to talk uh, more about M-Trade Park with Brad Freeman uh, who is the executive director of this facility coming up in just a little while? Um, hey, Dad, what did you what did you say we needed to do? Mock draft? Yeah, is sure. that where you wanted to go? Yeah, I well, I love the NFL draft. Let's do it. Borky, you love the NFL draft, don't you? Yeah, especially this year uh, with you had multiple teams tanking to get a quarterback, and now you've got posturing from Detroit about wanting to deal Matt Stafford with a few years left on his deal and. 
what that means for Tua in Miami. And so you're going to see a lot of moving around uh, this year in particular about the two quarterbacks that are worth moving for in the draft. How much horse trading is going to happen? Uh, is this going to be a whole lot of talk and posturing and kind of putting stuff out there to gauge reaction? and then nothing really happens, or is this a year where we're going to see a lot of movement with teams leading up to the draft? I think the obvious answer is Miami uh, to ensure they get Tua because that was the whole reason why they traded off or sold off all of their assets. I mean, they ha- forget Laramie Tunsil in that deal to the Texans, just handing away a franchise left tackle. Like a starting middle linebacker they gave to the Saints for a backup special teamer. They just handed their good players out to people to tank to make sure that they got to a Tonga Bailoa. That was the narrative around there was tank for Tua, tank for Tua. I think just because they have to guarantee to have tangible proof that we did this for a reason to the stakeholders involved around there, they have to get him somehow. So if you're going to see a trade, I think it's the most obvious one and the one that people talk about the most because Miami has to make it happen. They have to guarantee that they get Tua. And there's no guarantee that he will be there where they're currently sitting because L.A. might make a move. I mean, even Oakland at Farfetch, well, not Oakland anymore, uh, Vegas also kind of looking at the quarterback market, and they have to make sure they get their guy. Is that comparable to what we were talking about earlier with you know, fan bases being engaged and excited based on a new head coach being hired? Like Miami needs to get to a Tonga Bailoa to re-energize its fan base and sell tickets and kind of sell promise and hope? I mean, I'm had issues with that before the rebuild. Uh, what, with fan support? Yeah. Well, that's Miami for you. So could a Tua Tonga Bailoa change that? I guess possibly. Probably could do the same in L.A., although L.A.'s got stadium issues and all kinds of other stuff, but... It's just what they've been selling, you know? And that's why people put up with or were okay with how last year shook out. And, I mean, let's just pretend for a second that L.A. is the one that makes the move with Detroit and gets to a, and then you're going to try to sell me Justin Herbert? Like, I know he looked good in the Senior Bowl, but the only time anybody has ever seen Justin Herbert play is when he was shooting himself in the foot. So you're going to go from tank for Tua to Justin Herbert, Ugh. You, you just can't afford that. What about the, the story that's floating around out there today that Detroit is really interested in Tua and that he might not be available to Miami when they pick, that Detroit at three could take him? And then deal even, Stafford somewhere. Well, I was going to say, even with three years left on the, the deal that Matt Stafford's got. He would be extremely valuable. Nobody talks about him, and I guess because you know he is in Detroit, but if they want to make that move, um, obviously the most sought-after quarterback on the market, ahead of Tom Brady by a long shot, ahead of Phillip Rivers, obviously ahead of Teddy Bridgewater and company. If Detroit's willing to make a move for Stafford, I guess the next question is uh, who, who would and what would you give up for a guy that's as productive as he's been? Hmm. Wouldn't CBS mind to Sports. see him with a Florida Lee on his helmet, that's for sure. Feels like, if, if this is all true, that it feels like New York could really hold Miami to a, their feet to the fire. Problem is you're on the hook for 30, 32, 33, 26 over the next four years for Stafford. Worth it. Gross. 
A lot of money. It's a lot of money, especially for Detroit, I mean, Borky, who's not going anywhere. Borky, you said with the Florida Lee on your helmet, but I mean, you're not going to trade for Matt Stafford for him to be your backup. No, you just you hope that Detroit doesn't deal him this year, and then maybe you know Come explore back. that next year. Uh, so here's a mock draft from CBS. Joe Burrow going at number one to Cincinnati. Joe Burrow's saying some strange things when he's the presumptive pick of a team. Is he going to Eli this? Well, he hasn't really said anything. It's just been speculation. They picked me, they picked me, I believe, is his last actual public quote. Yeah. That's not very awe-inspiring, though. I mean, it's, it's the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm just saying. Um, by, you know. Uh, plus Dolphins trading with the Redskins to get up to number two to guarantee that they get to a Tonga Bailoa. See, to me, that's the only way... The only way the Dolphins guarantee they get Tonga Vailoa is trading to get to number two. Or if someone talks the Bengals into that two is a better prospect if you can get past the health thing, which is probably true. There was a report out of um, Miami that said that they were favoring Herbert over to, or at least looking at Herbert over to because of the health concern. Huh. Although, haven't all the reports been that Tua Tonga Vailoa is progressing as well as could be expected at this point feels like this is the classic nfl gm overthink so if the redskins trade away the number two pick that means they are also trading away the opportunity to get chase young and in this mock draft detroit at number three takes chase young the giants at four take jedrick wills jr the offensive lineman from alabama obviously new york invested in daniel jones last year time to invest in some offensive linemen to protect him, to give him some help. Because you think about it, they've got some pieces now, right? So you got Saquon Barkley. Got the quarterback. you got Evan Ingram. Yeah. And I know that – and other receiver pieces. Good player. Don't don't sell him short. No, I'm not. But I'm saying he's not the – your always, prototypical outside wide receiver. As always, Richard, you just down in the Ole Miss people uh, over there. Yeah. Sure, that's what I'm doing. That he, He's not Michael Thomas. Right. He's not – A.J. Green. Right. Yeah. Why can I not think of the receiver from Alabama's name? From Alabama? Yeah. That's Julio the, Jones? Yes, Julio Jones, the best receiver in the NFL. I'm sorry, I couldn't come no, up with his name. you already said Michael Thomas. You're good. I hear you. Um, so they don't have that. Right. But there's some good pieces at receiver plus Evan Ingram is the point I was making. Got to go get an offensive lineman. Redskins then taking linebacker Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, obviously a really good player at number five. Yeah. Herbert to the Chargers at six. If he's there and the Chargers have the sixth pick and nobody's taking him, that's a no-doubt slam dunk, right? Well, that's the guy that this time last year, he was the number one pick. I would take a veteran quarterback in free agency over Justin Herbert. Why? Why can't you do both? I guess you could do both, but that'd create quite the weird dynamic. But that one, that would sell more tickets. Like Herbert's just kind of, eh. So would you rather have year? Derek Carr, if they do the Brady thing, I'd probably actually rather have Teddy Bridgewater. What about so Cam could Newton? the Saints make a, make a trade here? Could they sign and trade Bridgewater to the Chargers and have the sixth pick? Who'd have the sixth pick? The Saints. Yes, that's possible. You trade, you get a deal done for Bridgewater. You get more than just the sixth pick. You give the them round, your though. first round pick but then, and maybe like next year's second or something like that. Bridgewater would have to agree to go to the Chargers. I think the Bridgewater would agree to go to the Chargers. That's a good situation. It is. Yeah. Soccer yeah. stadium. 
Um, other SEC guys in this mock draft, Clavon Chason from LSU to the Jets at number 11. Feels like he's going to be a good player yes. in the NFL. Jerry Judy to the Raiders at the number 12 pick. That's one of the higher projections I've seen for him. Andrew Thomas, the offensive lineman from Georgia at number 13 to Cincinnati. Good player. Boy, Andrew Luck will be glad to get him. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. Oh. CC uh, Lamb from Oklahoma. Uh, boo, boo, boo. Christian Fulton from LSU. Uh, corner at number 16 to the Falcons. They need somebody. Cover Michael Thomas. Trayvon Diggs to the Cowboys at number 17. Mm-hmm. Henry Ruggs to the Redskins at number 18. It's almost like Alabama and LSU have got some good players. Yeah. CJ Henderson from Florida to the Eagles. Terrell Lewis from Alabama to the Bills. <laughs> Xavier McKinney from Alabama to the Patriots. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Just one out. Patrick Queen from LSU to the Ravens at 28. Any other? Grant Delpit from LSU to the 49ers at 31. Is there any doubt, now that we've that Alabama with Tua healthy was the at worst the third best team in the country last year? No, not with him healthy. Yeah. 3A, 3B with Ohio State. Yeah. Ohio State really good. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi will take a quick timeout. Back to M Trade Park after this on Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm, Tuesday afternoon, M-Trade Park. It was scheduled to be the opening night of the spring soccer season. Mother Nature not necessarily cooperating a couple of hours ago. We probably could have played soccer now. More like we could go fishing in the middle of the soccer field. That sigh you heard was uh, Brad Freeman. He is uh, the director of M-Trade Park. We'll talk a little bit later about kind of the specifics of M-Trade Park and the transition to the new name and kind of all that's going on out here. But uh, I just wanted to grab you and kind of talk some ball as well. Uh, A guy that played high school football, basketball, baseball in Mississippi at a pretty high level, went on to play college baseball. Brad, the thing that's most intriguing to me about you, and I, I don't think there are all that many guys that could say, Played college baseball, got into pro ball, advanced to double A. Yeah, double A. Finally came to an end and said, you know what, I think I want to play professional football. And then went and made a practice squad. Yeah, not the uh, recommended route for sure, but that was kind of my, um, I guess, my path to to what I did. And um, after I got, I always had that itch to play football. You know, I, I signed as a quarterback. Um, with Mississippi State out of high school, um, but then ended up not doing that after getting drafted my senior year. And so, um, again, not the recommended route, but the route that I took for sure. If you had focused on football all the way through, would you have ended up in the NFL? Oh, wow. That's a very (laughs) difficult question to ask. Um, You know, I think if I would have focused on football, maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity to go to two College World Series. So um, I'll answer it like What's that. What's he trying to be a diplomat on here? I'll answer well it like that. It's well done. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good question, though. It's a good question. Well, I, I, it's fascinating to me that, that you were able to make that transition. How, how, how did it come about? Um, so I, I just finished my, my second season of ball, and um, – Minor league life's a tough life. Yeah. I mean, just just point blank. And um, I was doing well. I had some success, and uh, 
I was sitting there, you know, one day and just said, you know, hey, Dad, you know, I, I think I want to try out and just, just to see, just see what happens. And um, through some avenues, we got a, a, a tryout set up with the Colts and tried out, and it was a deal that and I performed well. I did all the agility things that you do. And your your three-cone drill was impressive. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it was off the charts. I don't even know what it was. Um, but through that, um, it was a deal to where, you know, a- after the the tryout, they were like, "Yeah, we're going to sign you." And it was kind of like, "Oh my gosh, what did I, what have I just done?" You're going to you know? sign me? Yeah, like gonna, you're going to pay me? Like seriously, we're going to do this? And it was it was a great time um, up in Indianapolis. Uh, I was with the practice squad for a full year. Got to play over in NFL Europe, and then um, came back from my second training camp. And that year they. Uh, Signed a pretty good receiver named Reggie Wayne. You know, he had, had a pretty good, pretty good year. And that, yeah. was, that was kind of when I was exited. So out. were you so, on the offensive side? Yeah, I was receiver at that time. Signed as a defensive back, and then they were like, "No, I'll play receiver." And so, um, pretty good uh, group of receivers there: Marvin Harrison, uh, Reggie Wayne, two Hall, of, probably Hall of Famers. They had a pretty good guy throwing to him as well. Yeah, he wasn't bad. Eighteen, he was pretty good. Pretty good yeah, player. No, no doubt. Know? At that point, did you say, okay, that's enough, or did you look at trying to sign or catch on with another team? Yeah, at at that point, you know, my um, it's kind of like your opportunities are pretty limited. You know, you have to get picked up because you're technically on waivers, and so, you know, I, would, I didn't have any film, didn't have any tape. I could say, hey, you know, come check me out as a baseball player. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't go over it too well it's uh it's a certainly an interesting journey uh, along the way college baseball season just began do you still have that that little bit of a i don't know if itch is the right word but that that kind of butterflies in your stomach around the start of the college baseball season when you think back to what your career was like oh yeah i mean college uh college baseball is just it is i, I think it's the purest form of baseball uh it's so much fun and then especially to see the uh you know the the new facility at, at duty noble um you know are you kidding me that's it's just unbelievable um and back when i sound i am old now but back when we played you know that was duty noble was kind of the the benchmark of all college football or excuse me college baseball stadiums and now to to see what it is now it's um it's incredible but yeah every year once it starts up you know, definitely miss it it's like it was and then it got passed mm-hmm. and was way behind. Yeah. And now yeah, kind of yeah. back out at the front of the pack. Right. Three years ago, it was probably the fifth best stadium in the West. Wow. And now it's yeah. probably the best in the country. Now you have condos in the outfield. So <laughs> there you go. One yeah. of those yours? Uh, no. 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 <laughs> they don't have one for the alumni. So they need to make that happen. All right. They're having to get guys up there all the That's time. Right. That's right. That's um, right. Take me back to you've told this story before, maybe even on this show. The the recruiting story. You grew up in Oxford. So right. so when your dad retired, your dad, Steve Freeman, retired from the NFL, you guys moved to Oxford. So you right. grew up, went to high school here. If I remember correctly, looked closely at coming to Ole Miss, even though your dad had gone to Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Yeah, so um, I was originally going to play football, you know, at, at Mississippi State. And, and it came down between State and Ole Miss. And um, – Originally made my decision to go to Ole Miss okay. and uh, spoke with Coach Brewer at at the time. And um, it was a, a situation to where he ultimately did not want his quarterback playing baseball. And so 
that was an issue, obviously. Because at that point, you were going to be a two-sport guy. Correct. And um, so... Is that Don, Don Kessner was a baseball coach at the time? Or was that the end of Jake? Yeah, it was. Okay. Coach Kessinger was there. And so, um, so well, that's just, you know, it's just not going to work for me. And um, call Coach Polk up, Coach Cheryl up, say, hey, here we go, let's do this. And move forward and then later into my senior and, year. And the two of them had agreed that you could play both. Correct. Okay. Yes, they, they were totally fine with that. Um, so originally attempted to be an almost rebel, but it just it just didn't work out, you know, and and it was just part of God's plan for it to go the way it went and um, wouldn't have very excited that I became a Mississippi State Bulldog. But then you go to Mississippi State and don't play football. Yeah. So, so, so what, what, what happened with the whole I got to play both sports right, thing? Right, like what am I doing, right? So my senior year, um, I got drafted in the fourth round by the Toronto Blue Jays. And, you know, at the time – I'm thinking, oh, I'm signing, right? I'm going to take this quote-unquote large amount of money that I thought at the time that they were offering me. All right, so so fourth-round pick circa 1990. Yeah, 94. Four? 94. What kind of money are we talking about? It was like 90000 Okay, and, so not six school. figures. No, no. But, you know, when you're 18, you're like, Phew. all the money in the world. Ninety grand. i am out here mowing yards trying to make a couple hundred dollars, right? Yeah. So, um However, my, my father, I like to mess with him. He was my agent at the time. Terrible agent. Just totally destroyed the deal, right? <laughs> just totally destroyed it. <laughs> so I think, Side note, wasn't he his own agent when he was in the league? Yeah, he was. He was. I hope he did. I think he did better as his own For agent. himself than he did for you. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, the, again, thank, thank God. I was so not ready to play going to the minors at 18. Um, but at the time... Yeah, I was like, man, you know, the, I need to really flesh this baseball thing out and, and give it my full attention, Okay, which is what I ultimately did. And then my senior year at State, um, it was kind of funny. Uh, coach Cheryl was still the coach, so we would always see each other like, hey, you know. And there well, was a two-sport guy back then. Scott Gamina was playing. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, That's correct. And now, now, was Jackie Cheryl frustrated that you had agreed that you were going to come? And I mean, you were coming there to play quarterback in yeah. addition to baseball. Yes. And then you'd go baseball only, and he goes, what happened? Or was he cool about it? (laughs) He was cool about it, but I'm sure that there was a level of frustration because, you know, you're working to set your recruiting class. Sure. We got a quarterback, so let's let's move on. And then I say, hey, I'm out. I'm just going to play baseball. I'm sure there was some frustration there, but so it went down. The the class you came in with, too. Is a class that would never happen these days. Too many of those guys would go in. But you had you, mm-hmm. Dubose, Richard Lee, Pyatt, Pyatt. Rob Oswald. That's right. Was Barry Patton in that class? Yeah, I Barry mean, Patton was in those are guys that would. Those are top ten round picks now. Oh and, yeah. And and they and the state would have been lucky to get two of them. I know. And you got them all. It just uh, worked out. I remember Eric Dubose. He was he was number one draft. You know, like in the first round, and yeah. he turned down. Um, I'll never forget the first like. Officially, when you walk into the first class, mm-hmm. that's when you officially can't sign, right? Like you can, you can. Was he hanging outside? He's like, you can sign right up until you until you like step in class, threshold, right? So you go to and, biology at eight a.m. on yeah. Monday morning. And I saw Eric sitting down, and it made me feel a lot less bad about <laughs> my decision. I was like, that guy just gave up one point. Something. I was like, do you know? Do you know what he turned down? Yeah, it was it was over a million. So 
Anyway. Mm. Yeah, didn't make me feel near as bad. I was yeah. like, let's go. Let's do this thing. Feel a little bit more comfortable. That's right. Brad Freeman uh, visiting with us. He's the director of M-Trade Park, newly renamed and rebranded here. Great multi-purpose fort- sports facility uh, in Oxford. We're
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.